Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 111 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HaremTG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And Gabriel Nassif. Hey, everyone. Well, well, well. Hopefully, hopefully I'm praying that the audio quality on this uh, new episode is really good because for those listening, we are trying to record the podcast on a new medium. We're going through Discord this time and uh, hopefully the quality is really good, but be prepared for maybe some audio problems or whatever as this is our first time recording it through Discord. So I'm nervous that maybe something will go wrong, but forgive us. Anyways, you're not here to me, you know, hear me ramble about the editing this week, we're here to talk about basically only modern. We do have a bit of Pioneer towards the end as Pat's been playing a few leagues, but mostly challenge breakdown, our testing, what we think of the format right now because modern is super hot. But as always, before we get into the episode, the podcast is brought to you by Card Market. They sponsor us. If you don't know what they are, they're the best place online to buy Magic the, Magic the Gathering singles, accessories, Anything card game related doesn't even have to be magic. You can have Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! And they have a special announcement coming soon as well on their Twitter. So I think you guys should all check them out. Cardmarket.com or cardmarket.eu to do anything you like in the card game world. Anyways, uh, if you personally would like to support the podcast and the best place to do so is at patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. You don't have to do so. You know, no pressure, but that's the best place to support us. Let's get started though. Modern. I want to start with the modern challenge this week. As Gabby said, there were some cool decks in the top eights. So why don't we start it off from there? Yeah, I don't know about cool decks, but Death Shadow crushed it again. Grixis Death Shadow won both days, Saturday and Sunday challenge. Soulstrong won on the Sunday, and he also top eighted on Saturday. So the deck dominates. Soulstrong dominates. He's even done it on stream, I think I believe. MTG Soulstrong on Twitch. Yeah, I watched him. Uh, I watched his his challenge win on the Sunday in, in the VODs. It was good. Yeah, and uh, that's what really s- stood out. Few, few, few interesting decks, but maybe not as many as last week. I played the Saturday challenge, and I decided to play Living End first. Uh, you know, it was New Year's Day. First eight games without a, a loss. I was four and zero, just cruising, and the wheels kind of fell off. I actually ended up losing three times to White Black Hammer Time, despite the fact that I think it's an okay matchup. I um, made a few small mistakes. I've I've had kind of a curse in this specific matchup. I feel like whenever I play Living In against White Black Hammer Time. It's kind of a, just a freak show. One of the games, I didn't find a Cascade spell in my top 29 cards, which was roughly 1 in 300 chances. And I did make small, I think, maybe sideboarding mistakes, uh, maybe a couple of sequencing uh, mistakes as well. And um, yeah, that that cost me. But yeah, besides that, the deck still still felt pretty good. I know the, the white matchup, when they used to just not play the black, I felt like that matchup was close to a buy or really really good you could lose maybe on the draw if they had the, the the fast kill and you didn't have interaction the black definitely helps them a ton i'm guessing it helps them in pretty much every matchup most people play black even though i think maybe x whale and maybe misplaced ginger still plays the mono white version i'm not I've too also, sure but i've also seen the uh, version splashing for green for ancient stirrings which is like a pretty powerful card if it goes you know finds you hammer it finds you urza saga in particular mm-hmm yeah, that was um, a list I made top eight. They have, um, it looks like 
Eastern European name. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. But uh, yeah, splashing, ancient, stirring, to have a Gaia's blessing in the sideboard. I'm assuming that's for Mill. And just add a little consistency, I guess. But yeah, just that matchup specifically, I think the black helps them a ton. And I, I've been impressed by that, that, that black splash for sure. Um, I think you get a lot of mileage for the black splash in a bunch of different matchups. And it's obviously you can just play a bunch of different tools. It could be like main deck, you know, four thought seizers, or maybe you only want a couple of thought seizers, a bit of spot interaction. If you think you want to just like play a longer game, you can play main deck, but are confident if you don't think people are going to turn up with a lot of spot removal. There's just a lot of, a lot of ways you can go with the just yeah. access to extra sideboard cards, really. And I guess the latest development has been the addition of the card Blacksmith Skill, which is a white instant from Modern Horizon 2. Target permanent gains hexproof and indestructible until end of, end of turn. If it's specifically an artifact creature, it gets plus two, plus two, so you can protect your equipment, your aid, your creatures. Um, and I've heard that card's pretty good. Yeah, that is it. Especially as people move away from like red removal spells, like all lightning bolts and unholy heats, to a mix of like red removal plus fatal pushes and stuff like that, or Colligan's command out of the Greeks of Shadow deck, having access to an effect that's not just like a power and toughness boost, but is actually straight up pure indestructible, goes a long way. I think a lot of people as well miss on Blacksmith skill is that it gives target permanent hexproof and indestructible. So, um. It's been really annoying with spreading seas as well as, um, uh, like when I was playing Esper Control, for example. There's Esper Tron that destroys an enchantment or Wear Tear, so that I think it's really, really flexible and good against heavy removal decks. Yeah, that's a great point. Protecting your Urza Saga, we know Urza Saga is just so strong. Can single handedly win win games. I know sometimes I'll start building control decks. I'll be like. Four Fatal Push, four Ice Fang Coddle, and I want to kind of keep it lean and not play too many powerful cards, kind of, you know, Archmage and I'm looking at the deck, I'm like, what if they just go, like, Artifact into Urza Saga? That's like, I need to use free cards just to deal with that card if I'm not putting four Spreading Seas in my main deck or something. That's like the, that's the sense of exactly why this deck is so powerful as well. It's like the perfect, the perfect home for, for a card like Saga, because not only does it threaten these kind of turn three your super fast goldfish draws, but it also just grinds so effectively. It has the draws where you just go like, you know, cheap creature or cheap artifact, cheap artifact, Urza Saga. And then the Urza Saga like goes and gets the, the massive three for one value. Or there's the other games where it acts like essentially just a suspend tutor for, for, for Colossus Hammer as well, which just like enables your fast kill. It's just such a powerful card in this deck. And it allows the deck to play both roles so well, which makes it such a, you know, probably the top of the modern metagame in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of the, uh, I think I mentioned it last week on the podcast, but on Twitch there's a trophy race right now, and I've been watching a lot of Misplaced Ginger play um, Hammer Time, and I've really, really liked his build, and I'm surprised to not see Ginger Brew in, in I think, any of these Hammer lists in, in this top. Oh no, there's a Ginger, Brain, a Ginger Brew in X-Wills list. I feel like Ginger Brew has been an insane card um, being fetched from Urza's Saga specifically, and I think that uh, Ginger really has his black-white hammer deck down. Like, if I wanted to play a hammer deck, I'd play his, because he has the perfect balance of Thoughtseize, and his main deck is so well thought out. But, I mean, this is obviously what Ginger's going to build if he's playing, like, 50 leagues a day with hammer time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't even kind of clue into the fact that you could get Brood off Saga. I thought it was just trying to... You know, have another kind of artifact creature one drop that they wanted, but the the evasive ability on Ginger Brute is obviously so powerful, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like 
longer games where you have to go for, get a threat off Saga. Mm-hmm. Another another thing that's like a so X Whale in fourth place on the um, Saturday challenge has one Ginger Brute in his in the main of his mono white deck. They also have two core outfitter, which is just like another you know just copies nine and ten of the fast equip ability. It's a card I've seen more and more recently. People just trying to max out on that effect so that you can have those draws where you, like you you cast hammer into their removal and they remove it, and then you still have like the follow up play essentially. Because if you just have aid in play, like you just get the one buy off the, off the trigger essentially, and then you yeah. got to try and draw try and draw a pure steel paladin or whatnot. I think people used to play that card right at first, at some point, anyways, and then it. That wouldn't went surprise away me. People and... kind of like start start off being like, "I'm just going to have all the possible effects I can possibly have to put hammer on my on my creature," and then that being a little bit too one dimensional. But then you realize that you kind of need that effect quite quite badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I, I I don't remember exactly if they always if they began by playing that that card, but I know it's been picking up in popularity recently. Yeah, it makes sense. Just such a high impact play to equip your plus and plus ten card on a on a creature. Why not? I I don't have strong feeling either way. I feel like it's not really my type of card usually. Uh. I'm not a fan of cards that don't do much when you don't draw your other cards, but you are kind of all about hammer in this deck. So you have four stone, four mystic, four hammer. So odds are you're going to have a hammer in play uh, in the early turns of the game. So why not? I mean, it just it fits so nicely with a lot of the play patterns in this deck as well. Because like so often you'll be like, okay, I have pure steel paladin and a hammer, and then like there's tension about which order you play them in. Do you play the paladin first and try and go for value to like draw the card? When you play when you play your hammer, or do you lead hammer and then cast pure steel paladin so that you in- always get the equip trigger or, or equip 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 activated ability? When yeah. if if they have removal or not, and then you know, but both of those plays essentially like, if they if they want to having like the removal spells that you need, like you just left with a hammer sitting around in play, and so having extra ways to kind of just get a re- get a, another bite of that cherry is you know goes a long way in just kind of closing the closing the door. Yeah, it's like a really, 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 really poor poor man's pure self out of them. Obviously, sometimes it has an upside when you don't have all the artifacts, but yeah. There was, there was a list or two. There was a Neoform Affinity uh, deck that made top 16. There was also, I think, a Yorion Urza. We've seen a few Urza, Blue-White Urza Thopter decks uh, show up a bit, and there was a... I think Did you play a little... Did you play a little bit of that deck this week? I can't remember. Yeah, I, it did well in, I don't know what, in a, in a challenge. I tried the list. Um, it was 60 card, Thopter, Urza. It had only three Thopter Foundries and one Sword of the Meek because it had Stoneforge Mystic, was Caldera Complete. I went one in four with the deck in the league I played. But um. I will say it was, you know, kind of close games, kind of close matches. I felt like it was the same pitfalls for this deck. You're playing, you know, you have to play 24 lands. You don't have a ton of card advantage. You're, you know, you have a powerful combo, but if they pick you apart, things can go poorly. And, you know, it was it was, it was was close in that way. I also tried the White Red Prowess deck. I had four Light Up the Stage and four Reckless Impulse. With a White Splash for some path and some ending. I went two and three, but once again, it, the deck felt okay. You know, I didn't have the best record in the league. The deck felt fine. Nothing 
super crazy. I thought maybe trying mutagenic growth in the main deck would be good. And I feel like they're always good in prize decks and you can get people and cards just really efficient when you're playing all these light up the stage and reckless impulse. So taking the, the list that Fracom used to come in second in the challenge last week, I would maybe maybe trim a path, maybe move the path to the sideboard and play mutagenic growth. I wasn't sure if I wanted all light up the stage and reckless impulse all eight. I think you want at least seven, maybe all eight. I think Reckless Impulse is maybe a bit better than Light Up the Stage in this deck. So if you're going to trim one, uh, you, you might want to trim Light Up the Stage. That, that deck felt okay too. And I played, um, I built my own version of, what was it? I think it was just maybe, or is that, I forget now. You played like a Blue-Eyed Affinity deck as well. Yeah, that too. I played, I think I, I played my own version of, um, Thopter Foundry was Urza, where, or was no, it was like Blue White Urza Control, basically. I think I think I was playing like Portable Hole, Esper Sentinel, Four Archmage Charm, a few Teferi, some Counterspell, and I, I was winning with four Urza, one Jace, one Five Mana Teferi. A lot of Talismans as well in that deck. Yeah, so basically it was it was Blue White uh, Thopter Foundry was at Thopter Foundry. And actually, in the first league I played, I went 4-1. and one. I only lost to the mirror match of all things. I got paired against another uh, Blue-Eyed Urza deck, except they were playing the combo. And I'm not sure I won them there, the game. I didn't play. I think I maybe messed up. But that deck, so I was like, oh. Yeah. And I actually beat all three top tier one decks in that league. I think I beat Grixis Shadow or Blue-Eyed Murktide. And then I beat Hammer Time. And then I beat a Living End deck. So I was, you know, I was playing against the good decks, too. And then I started another league, and I think I maybe started one twin and dropped. And finally, I tried a, a blue-white affinity deck inspired from the historic list. The 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 list I've been playing in historic, the deck Aaron Girdler built originally. Because right now in in modern, the affinity lists are usually mono blue, kind of they're kind of a great mid-range deck. They can kill you somewhat fast with cranial plating. But not super super fast, and they have a little disruption. Maybe it was rebuke, but they can just grind like crazy because they play four thoughtcast, four thought monitor, four Urza Saga. So they, they can go toe to toe with a lot of the mid range decks and even the control decks. So people play either that version. There's that version splashing green for Neoform, and I tried to play a, a little more a version with more interaction. I guess I was playing. Esper Sentinel and Portable Hole. And for Urza Saga, for Thoughtcast, for Thought Monitor, I tried to keep the curve pretty low, so no no Urza. I wasn't playing Frogmite or the the the, the cycling mirror enforcer. And I had a good result. I went I went four and one in my first league. The deck felt pretty powerful. It relied pretty heavily on Urza Saga. I felt like deck might be weak to Blood Moon and Alpine Moon, and I actually lost my one loss was, was against White Red Soul Sisters. They were playing Soul Sister, splashing for Norin the Wary and some Blood Moons in the sideboard. And I, I got watching, stu- I was watching yeah. the game, the, the stream at that point, and it did not look like an enjoyable game for you. Third game, yeah, I got Stony Silence in the third game. Ugh. And that was but that was my only loss. I haven't played the deck since, but it, it felt it felt good. It felt functional. I was careful when I was building the deck with a mana base, because you need untap white on turn one as well as you know, blue. So you don't want to play too many lands. So basically every land has to be a dual land. I think I was playing maybe one island, one plains, and then Seacrum Coast, the the white 
Blue Artifact Land was really good. Some Hallowed Fountains. And I think I played zero copies, actually, of Citadel or Treasure Vault. Or maybe a few, I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, the mana is a little tricky. So, yeah, that deck was cool. So I didn't play a ton of Modern, but I, I tried a bunch of different decks. And yeah. The mana has always been tricky in Affinity decks, even going back to the kind of early, early, early days of Affinity, where you, know, you obviously just wanted to play all these artifact lands, but they didn't make the colors of mana you wanted. So when you tried to, like, load up on colors, colored spells, you just had a really hard time casting them. Yeah, exactly. You had Drum, you had Glimmer Void, basically, and... I think the rule was you never wanted more than four colored spell in your deck because the mana base was eight eight Nexus, four Citadel, four Glimmer Voids. I think that's 16. Yeah. And then maybe you had like one or two basics usually. Yeah. And um, even going back to the kind of standard list in, you know, kind of original Mirrodin time, it felt like, you know, you could cast four Thought Cast and maybe you could cast some Shrapnel Blast if you were really greedy. But whenever you wanted to board a colored card in, you had to take out another colored card. It was basically how it worked. Those decks had like chromatic sphere and stuff in them as well. I think it was a bit better because you had Glimmer Void and you it was before the the artifact lands were banned, right? So yeah, you had you had all of it. It was just so hard to cast kind of like reliably cast any colored spell because you could make colored mana, but it wasn't necessarily any mana that mattered to you at this point in time. Yeah. This is that's how I remember it remember it being. Like you had access to essentially five colors of mana, but you know, you needed to cast Disciple of the Vault and that took up space in your number of colored 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 cards you could possibly play but i know here we are talking about 2004 standard order yeah you also had max opal i guess but yeah i remember the rule being like we had like what was it galvan did we have four galvanic blast four thought cast in the main but basically i knew that after start where you didn't want to go too crazy was was colored spells i mean yeah in the in the modern uh affinity decks pre opal band that was definitely how it felt like you'd kind of have like three or four blasts or you'd have Thoughtcast if you really wanted them instead of Blast. Yeah. And then, like, you couldn't really ever board in more than, like, another couple of colored spells at any point in time. And they usually came at the expense of the colored cards in your deck. Yeah. So at least the guys... mana is certainly a bit better in these ones because, like, you have the blue-white tap land and, like, you're only trying to cast two colors worth of spells. But at the same time, trying to fit all these colored, colorless lands oh. in and then do other, you yeah. know, cast normal spells is not, not really possible. It's only good because you don't get to play as many colorless spells. You're playing four sagas and then, you know, few few artifact lands and not being too greedy. Yeah, yeah the dual lands, the dual lands are pretty sweet. But I think you guys played a, a little modern too, right? Yeah. So I, I played. I finished off a league with Death Shadow, and then I played two leagues with Blue Red Merc Tide that I kind of spoke about a little bit at the end of last week. Played with Main Deck Blood Moon. Kept trying out Season Pyromancer in the sideboard. It was pretty effective for me. Whenever I drew it, it was either the target of discard spells against uh, for, for my Death Shadow opponents, or it was providing good blockers for Jace in matchups you know, where I was bringing, bringing in both cards. No, I didn't like play against the exact kind of come up the exact situations I theory crafted it for, which was like you know, my opponents have rest in peace or whatnot, and that shuts things down, or they have um. You know, it's really good against Solitude. I didn't play against uh, a Solitude deck at all, but you know, I was pretty impressed with uh, pretty impressed with Blue Red. Like it's a deck I just keep winning with, despite the fact that it's probably not you know as well positioned as it could be, or or it was certainly as well positioned as it was a couple of months ago. If I was going to play a big tournament soon, I'd probably be playing Death Shadow rather than Merktide, but I had a good time playing it anyway. Um, 
yeah, I mostly just play Pioneer as the other as the other thing I did this week, but we can talk about that a little bit later. I know that Harry's played a, lot, a bunch and should probably you know, get that off his chest. A bunch? I don't know why. I mean, it seems like I've played a bunch. I've been pumping out YouTube content, eh? But um, and I Basically, played two. It might be. I mean, yeah. people might think that you play. You've been playing a lot because every time you do play something, you get two bytes of it. You stream it and then you upload it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's kind of my, I guess, content structure. Is that because I'm studying all the time i guess yeah i'm now not only am i doing a degree in maths trying to do youtube but i'm also learning mandarin i'm studying like two hours a day of mandarin chinese um so i'm i'm my days are so busy it's really hard to fit it all in but yeah this week i played um i played esper control the wafo tapa list last week that we talked about. I actually, you know what? For once, I told the truth about my future on the last episode of the podcast. I played the Esper Control list from Wafo Tapa, and I also played the Red-White Prowess deck um, that we talked about as well. So I got basically both of the decks I wanted to try out. The Wafo Tapa list, I really, really, really liked. It was really good. Esper Charm was nuts. I won two matches, forcing people to discard cards. Um, Esper Charm destroying. Dryad was relevant. Esper Charm destroying... Um, Eidlon was relevant, Esper Charm destroying, Urza Saga was relevant, and Esper Charm for me was really, really, really good. The mana base supported it, um, and Kaya's Guy was also really good, Incidental Exiling the Graveyard was great, the life game was great, the token was relevant. You know, I feel like we don't play Snapcaster, uh, sorry, we don't miss Snapcaster Mage as much anymore attacking Planeswalkers because we can kind of counter them, whereas... Kaya's Gar was really nice making 1-1s to attack the face. I feel like a lot of mana bases now burn, like, people burn themselves down. So Sack make a 1-1, that token was really good at chipping away. People don't really have flying blockers. For example, Dragon Rush Chandler always has to attack. Um, that was great. What else did I like about the Esper list? Uh, oh, Did that league actually go well? Because the only yeah. game I caught was you winning was Emrakul. Mm -hmm. In game two against in against blue white and getting ragged by rest in peace in the third game. Oh yeah, that was my one loss. I went four one. Oh yeah, she went four one. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was really Emrakul sick. paid off though. Yeah, Emrakul really down the promise week. end. Yeah. Instant speed stone rain is kind of a pog. Just instant speed kill your your Urza saga on tap. I guess that's something to highlight. Actually, you were watching. I caught I cast Emrakul and my opponent's hand was Jace, Force of Negation. Jace, Force Paris, of Negation, it, 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 Solitude to Fairyland. Yeah, you went Jace, counter my own Jace, Solitude <laughs> was to Fairy, <laughs> and fetch. fetch, fetch nothing, and then left them was like two lands in hand or something. Yeah, it was, it was mind twist, basically. Yeah, it was so sick. Emrakul was so, so sick. It like, the, the relevant thing there is Emrakul in the past, you would try and like cast a fairy and tuck itself. Bro, they got a solitude. That's that that trash is, you know, you're pitching their best white card in their hands. So that was pretty good. Um was there any last comment on the Esper list? I don't think so. I think all I w wanted to really highlight is that if your metagame is really full of like burn low to the ground decks, I crushed them this league. I beat Amulet Amulet Titan um hammer time jeskai prowess it was just the red white splashing blue for expressive iteration as well and then i beat like um the blue white urza deck that gab was talking about as well and then i lost a really really close one to blue white control um so i really really like the deck overall honestly esper was really good is there any Some questions you guys have 
Sounds like it could be really good against Grixis Shadow. You get Fatal Push for efficiency. You get extra charms. I'm assuming you were playing four, knowing it's Waffle, he had four Esper Charm and four Archmage Charms, or four maybe charm, not four Esper Charms. Four Archmage's Charm, two Esper Charm. Yeah, so extra card advantage. Kaya's Gal, I feel, is a scary card for Grixis Shadow. So... Yeah. yeah, sounds sounds pretty good. You're not playing spreading seas, which is I'm assuming you're not playing spreading seas or no, maybe no, not four, in the main four. deck. Oh, four, four in, in the main. main. Okay, I was yeah. gonna say that card's maybe not the greatest against Grixis Shadow, but yeah. I, actually, one thing to highlight, to be honest, now that I have the list up on my on my screen, um, the the card that surprised me the most was Fracture. That card was nuts. Destroy target artifact enchantment or planeswalker for a white and black. That card every time. I, I sideboarded in that card. Not only did I draw it, but it did bits. It did bits. And, um, it, it, like, it just is really, really good. I think I think if I play this deck again, I'd play, like, two or three copies. So, so you're saying you, not only you have three mana instant speed stone rain, you have a two mana instant speed yeah. stone rain? Yeah. Damn. As well yeah, as Yeah, that does sound good against, against Amulet Titan. Kills kills Amulet, kills Saga, kills, uh... Dryad. Kills the Dryads. Yep. It was Yikes. really, really, really good. As well as, yeah. like, um, Amulet Titan now plays cards like Expedition Map, which they'll sometimes naturally draw. Like, it, it just... Oh, I really, really like Fracture. I don't... I didn't... I hated Celestial Purge, but maybe that's because uh, of my matchups, but... Yeah. I would guess it probably still suffers from control. When you win, it's going to look great, you know, when you curve mm -hmm. out and mm -hmm. you have the right amount of lands and spells and... You know, feel like feel a like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have an answer to everything they do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like Control Decks in Modern, you're still going to just lose yourself a lot just because you have to play 25, 26 lands and hope to have free lands and four spells in your opening hand or draw well, whereas everyone's playing, like, these 18 land decks, or when they're not playing 18 lands, they have, like, four Urza Saga and, um, <laughs> you know... But I yeah, definitely the, the black cards do, do all sound good. I definitely think we've seen much less blue-eye control and decks of that ilk over the last month or so than we had maybe in a couple of months beforehand. Seems that like the other press of the format's caught up and is kind of working, you know, fight fighting on that axis pretty effectively. I think like you know the switch from the aggro control deck essentially being from blue red merc type, which is you know somewhat spotty against blue white and solitude to this death shadow where it doesn't you just have no kind of massive high investment cards to get butchered by solitude and you don't really care about them shutting down counters with teferi you know less less vulnerable to teferi time raveler and this sort of stuff it means that there's no natural kind of thing for blue white to prey on as much anymore you also have colligan's command for chalice of the void exactly like you know main deck not non-convoluted outs to get Chalice of the Void is really quite powerful, yeah. I, I really don't like the engineered explosives in the main of the Murktide deck. Like, I think it's a necessary evil, but you know, not a card that I'm really that happy to have in my main. I never felt like Blue-Red Murktide was bad against Blue-White. My sample size was not huge, but... It was the sort of matchup that I I was winning it about as much as I was losing it, and definitely didn't believe anyone who said that, like, oh, this is, like, a great matchup for Blue-White. I thought that... yeah. I think we've, we've been over this a couple of times before, but I felt yeah. like you traded mana efficiently with them. And yeah, that I was remember, the yeah. win. I remember saying that, I, yeah, blue white's good and against Murktide. And when I played the blue white side against a good player, it didn't feel good, honestly. And when I played Mer from the Murk side side, I, I was mostly winning. So, 
Yeah, that was my experience as well. I'm, I mostly won from the Merktide side, but I definitely just saw enough reports of this matchup is bad for Blu-ray Merktide that it's probably had meant something at the very yeah. least. And I can see why people would think that there's a lot of, you know, Supreme Verdict is a card that make you vulnerable to if you're, you know, configured in a relatively one-dimensional way, you know, you're soft chalice of the void if they have, if they manage to resolve that card, you know, you have a lot of counter spells, maybe it's a very time rabble makes it life hard for you. But if you just know that that's the sort of thing, that the sort of way that they're interacting with you, then it's pretty easy to not get caught with your pants down and you're actually able to go toe-to-toe in the long game with them, really, with cards like Expressive Iteration. Yeah. One thing I think the control decks have picked up that making their life a little bit easier, though, is some high-quality creature lands again. Mm. You know, Hall of the Storm Giants has been a really big pickup for any of these blue control decks, just getting that extra mana source in the deck that's also, like, a really powerful threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colonnade is, like... Yeah, Colonnade is a pretty good card, but it doesn't quite close the game as fast, and it's coming to play tapped means that it's a com- it compromises you well in the early game, which is a real, you know, obviously really important in a format like Modern, whereas at least you get to play your know, turn two counter spell, whole counter spell manner up if you draw a whole of the Storm Giants in your opening hand. I like the word compromise. <laughs> yeah, I like the the ones played Colonnade Hall in, in Blue-White. Somehow I felt like I always had the one I needed when I needed it. When I yeah. needed the late game beater, I had Hall when I needed it exactly on turn six to kill Liliana at Colonnade. Did the Esper deck play any Manlands? Maybe one or two? Yeah, one Colonnade, one Hall. Both were nuts. I had them both when I needed it. But, um, you know, I think that might be because you're just, you know, when you need them, you're flooding. And when you don't need them, yeah. you have spells to cast, right? Yeah, people ask me a lot about one-offs, and one of the upsides of one-off, especially in this specific case where they're lands, is that when you draw both, you have the choice of which one you want to use, rather mm. than just have two of the same where, okay, I just, you know, have one option. Um, so that's like a little, nice little upside of the one-offs. What about the white-red deck? How did that deck feel for you? So I went 3-2, my two losses... One was to Blue Light Control, and one of them was to Goblins? No, I yeah. beat Goblins. I don't know. But the, I, I'm really, I was really bad with this deck. I feel like this white-red prowess deck, you know, with four, uh, eight divinations, I feel like you have to know when to cast the bull, when to cast the dart, should you save it, should you put lures to hand. Like, one league for me wasn't enough to play it efficiently and, like, really know how good it is. But from what I saw, I was drawing a load of cards. Um, I always, you know, either had the removal spell or had ways to dig for it. You know, the only games where I felt really um, out of my comfort zone was Lowland Lowland games. So, I really like the deck. I think something to highlight is Lavadar is really really powerful right now with everyone casting Chandler's and Ragavans. I think that's obvious, but that to me was kind of the reason why I want to be playing this deck, is you can just go like, turn one Chandler, turn two, another one drop, plus dart, and then just go from there. That was really sick. Um, and then as well as like, against, I felt like I had extra leverage against very interruptive decks, because if they interrupt my divination, oh, that's okay, I've got the Lurus, or I can put the Lurus to hand, or maybe I know they're holding up a removal spell, okay, I'll do something, put yeah. Lurus to hand, or I'll Divination, like, bait the Lurus, 
or put Luris into hand next turn, they have to have an answer for it, and I just divination instead. Like, th these lines of Luris plus eight divinations made it really, really awkward for my opponents. So that's that's one thing I think is really good about the deck. And I think you have to be really good at red decks to understand how to play this too, because I did not understand how to play it. Yeah, it definitely structured less like a burn deck or less, even less like an aggro creature deck and more like almost kind of combo deck mm -hmm. in a lot of respects. Yeah. That's also trying to grind a grindy combo deck, which is a strange thing to describe it as, but that's kind of how it plays. And it's, you're right. These are the sort of decks that when I, when I sleep them up or, or, you know, load them up on moto, I, it takes me a while to get my head around exactly what I'm supposed to be doing because the cards look like they do one thing, but really they're actually trying to do something a little bit different. And if you don't get every single milk, every single card for what it's worth, then it's going to be really quite hard to win those, those middle ground games. Like obviously you can just have games where you run your opponent over or they run you over, but then those ones in the middle, you really got to scrap and fight for them. But the percentage points are probably there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I really like the deck. I think it has potential. Um, to me, this feels like I, I've played like, uh, you know, Merc Tide in the early days. It felt really, really powerful. Yeah, I felt that way a bit with iteration in the Grixis Shadow deck more so than in Blue Red. That I had to be a little bit more careful with iteration because the the deck fell. I mean, it's the same number of lands, right? It's eighteen or nineteen in in Murktide and in Grixis Shadow. Yeah, I, think, I think Shadow has nineteen typically, and I would say Blue Red has eighteen typically. Yeah, I mean, it was it was true with Murktide too that you have to be a tiny bit careful with iteration because. It's not a given that you're going to hit a, a land. and. One thing um, that I found that uh, interesting about iteration playing these shadow decks is less that is that you're less, not not that you're less, you use it less often looking for lands, but you have far more spells that you can cast when right you away. don't hit land. So yeah, you can, yeah. Yeah, where, you know, where, whereas if you don't turn up land in the Murktide deck, it's almost a disaster a lot of the time because you're, you're really pr hoping for that three, three mana, you know, find your third land. And, you know, put the counter spell in your hand or stuff like that. Whereas the, the Grixis Shadow deck can really just go like, oh, shit, I turned up three spells. Uh, okay, I'll take that one and I'll play my one drop. Yeah. So it's it's weird that I felt that way was was the Grixis deck. Maybe it was just a small sample and I got a bit unlucky in a couple spots. No, I, I mean, I, I certainly I feel like it's the sort of thing where Shadow, Shadow often really, 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 really wants to hit that land. And if you don't hit it, it can be really miserable. You know, because yeah. obviously half the power of these decks is where you cast like two or three spells a turn regularly. Yeah. Whereas if you're pinning yourself to casting one spell a turn, like your cards don't really stack up that well. Yeah. So there's a couple of spots where I guess Lurus made it a little more tricky too, knowing when to put Lurus in your hand. I think it's the same with Hammer Time. It's not always obvious when to when to put Lurus in your hand and when to do other things. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've as much as I think that companion is like a bad thing for magic in general the change they made to like to nerf the power level of them overall at least introduced some interesting tension yeah for sure rather than just the tension of like oh i have to i, I get to play the deck i want to play anyways minus maybe four cards <laughs> and i get a free loris yeah exactly yeah or i get like a tiny bit more variance in my draws and i get a free orion yeah for sure yeah, I mean, I can't believe that it was like, was it less than a year ago that we were allowed to do all that for free? Oh, or maybe it was like a year ago. And not only that, but I'm not even sure it was super obvious to everyone right away how good. I remember 
thinking Yuriel on the downside might be a little too much. I think Luris people were kind of on yeah. Twitch right away. I mean, Luris and Vintage. Like, people, much, people were yeah. on Twitch. I remember yeah. thinking they were like, okay. I remember saying on the podcast specifically, like, do you even play this in Death Shadow? You can't play Street Wraith. I remember saying that. Yeah, I, I remember thinking I wasn't sure the 20 extra cards was worth it for a lot of decks. Mm-hmm. You know, that Tyrion was worth it. Well, and that it was. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and, and and then I spend the next like however long before they nerfed it playing all Yorion decks. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. I miss oh. Urza plus Yorion, dude. That was like my I think that's probably the time I love magic the most. Oh no, actually I missed, uh, maybe I love magic more with Uro Sanctuary, but I missed yeah. uh I missed the phase of Yorion Demir and Verda. That was my that was yeah. a good time. With it when they started trying to go yeah. over the top of it's more of a meme now, just add Yorion in 20 cards, but back then at some point it literally was warranty just adding, you know, every control deck, plus four Omen of the Sea, plus a few lands, Yorion, mm. boom, done. Yeah, literally. It makes every deck better. Wow, that did. I'm, I'm very glad they nerfed them, and we yeah. still have to play against them kind of, yeah, you know, four rounds out of five. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that companions are still having a big impact on the format, though. I think Absolutely. it was, was it Canister who tweeted that Lure should be banned? I think it, I don't know if he was trolling or not, but there is a lot of, like, talk of our companions having too much of an impact on the format. Do you guys have, like, do you guys want to talk about that? Absolutely. I'd love to, I can go into this a bit. Yeah, I mean, right. I think, honestly the companions really do warp how we all build our decks like um for example i mean even control decks have been insanely warped with how we can't play snapcaster vendillion click or whatever because they don't match match the creature type of kahira having kahira in the companions was so key for solitude for example like i feel like almost every archetype is warped by the companion zone and i think that if you want to really open up to more cards in the format if you take out companions yeah that there will be more unique looking and and also i think very different card quantities between lists you know i feel like the companions make everyone kind of play very similar lists so that's one thing i'll agree on i feel like modern you can go i feel like modern might be that way even without the companions mm-hmm. i mean you know, I saw saw your video on YouTube. You were talking <laughs> about cards like Liliana of the Veil, and I think just in general, you can't just play major range. Really, I was talking about it for blue white control, but it's true for mid range. You just going to be at a natural disadvantage if your deck's just 24, 25, 26 lands and a mm-hmm. bunch of free four, five mana cards because you're just not going to be as consistent. You're going to mulligan more. Where when you're mulligan, your lands are gonna look, your hands are gonna look worse. So, you know, a card like Urza's Saga, you literally can't really play expensive cards because it's just such a non-synergy. So, maybe maybe the companion exas- exacerbate that that problem, but mm. I'm not sure it would really matter that much. That makes a lot of sense to be to be fair. I think also though, the problem is is as we print more and more cards there are naturally going to be cheaper and more efficient cards being released, whether it's over, like, a year like it has been or over many years. So, I'm... You know, my YouTube video was biased. I was comment-baiting. Like, I... Like, my... Yeah. 
Um, I guess for those listening who haven't seen my YouTube video, just top five modern staples we forgot, and then I just listed off, like, every, every, um, you know, boomer's dream of a modern deck, basically, and then at the end, I did, like, this twist at the end, and I was like, oh, uh, modern's a rotating format now, not an eternal format, what do you think of the future of modern? Then I bet a little comments. Anyways, I think that these cards are bound to be kind of wiped away into history because of what, you know, Gav has hinted at, is that I mean, you're, it's inevitable for better cards to be printed. Like, do you want Watsy to just print trash cards for the rest of Magic's t his, uh, future? That's just not going to happen. I'll right? be perfectly frank. Some of the standard formats and for constructed formats of Magic history that I've enjoyed the most when the cards is absolute rancid. Really? Absolutely. Kamigawa block, out of garbage. I think the A thing amazing is... Amazing constructed format. But high-power high formats... Do you think they're more or less fun then? So you're saying they're less fun? No, I think I think high power formats are more fun in general. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, I think that's what Watsy are kind of leaning into. But it kind of feels like... I feel like that's as well as w what most card games go down. Or does I mean, that power creep is, the death power of Power creep is an inevitability. Yeah. Can I just... Maybe I can address both of your points gradually. I think, you know, on Gab's point at the deck building cost of companions maybe not as restricting create you know deck building creativity as much as we might think i do think it eliminates the ability to kind of have that gradual arms race in you know almost in the mirror if you know what i mean like there's this thing that happens naturally when like a deck rises at the top of the metagame where the deck sort of like inbreeds against itself and that opens up space to for another deck to come in and and actually compete with it once it weakens itself on whatever axis is weakening itself on to gain an advantage in the mirror. And so if you look at a deck like Death Shadow, if you had no Lurus in the equation, it might be it might be increasingly correct for you to start playing cards like Liliana or the Veil as a kind of powerful thing to trump them when they when they get a creature a creature advantage ahead of you, like play your planeswalker, kill your creature. But you can't justify doing that because it takes away it takes away Lurus at this moment. But if you don't have Lurus around then you can you can start engaging in that arms race, which you know naturally opens up space in the metagame for other decks to to, to fight again. Um, and just on the idea of like printing cards and new stuff, one of the problems I have with with companions in general is that it was such a failure in general. I think it was kind of widely considered a failure and an experiment gone wrong. Mm. They're not going to print anymore, and so these are the ones we're just going to be stuck with forever. And so, do I really want to play against Lurus for the next, like, 15 years? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. True. I will say the arms the arms race can happen in other ways. For instance, in the Grixis Mirror Match, maybe you can load up on more spell bombs in your, in your sideboard and more... I'm not sure I'm going to say Culligan's Command. I'm not sure if it's the, the best card in the mirror. But, so, that can happen in that way. And if sideboards start getting inbred... Even though sideboards are not as crucial as they were in the past, because the cards are more versatile and stronger, etc. Cards like Prismatic can makes it so that you'll need like all the like specific sideboard cards. It can still happen in that way. Maybe people can exploit that. Oh, they're you know they're playing more graveyard aid this this weekend and can you know something like that. But, but yeah, yeah, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a narrow, a narrow form of the arms race that, that generally happens. I find you, it just you look, you look at the options you're, you're talking about. Like, do you even really want to bring in more than like one or two copies of Nile Spellbomb ever? 
in the mirror like how far did, down the kind of rabbit hole do they have to go for you to think they're like it's great for you to draw an opening hand with multiple nile spell bombs in it like it's basically just a straight up mole but when you have access to cards like cards like liliana are actually interesting interesting magic cards to kind of yeah. think about having in your deck i think at least i personally think yeah i could definitely be willing to be wrong like that's so crazy because we're going to be playing against these companions like people play fetch lands for the rest of the modern right is what you're saying that's more or less what i that's more or less what i think you know ha will will inevitably happen like i just don't they're never going to print another companion surely mm. they 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 could they could eventually ban loris it hasn't been too too bad so, too. so far but right now arguably you know white black hammer tom and grixis shadow are the two best decks and they're kind of hard to attack and well i mean we'll we'll see i just it's think it tough. makes it real when the when the companion decks are the actual best decks in the format though as well it just makes it so hard for you to justify playing something else that doesn't have a companion mm. yeah mm -hmm. it's like one of the big knocks against murktide i think is like you, what, what companion can you play you can't you can't play a companion yeah and also i know it spelled especially bad when i was playing that four color omnath deck with all these mid-range cards and i was just losing the late game to grixis shadow because they had lurus they didn't need expensive cards they had Iteration for card advantage, drown in the lock for answers. Yeah, and I, it's. It, you know, Lewis, I was losing. Uh, uh, yeah, you should never lose. Was that a deck that's playing four or five mana cards against a deck that's all one and two mana cards? It doesn't seem like you should lose a game that goes to like turn 20, turn 25. That That's not right. Mm. That ain't right. Hmm. I, I, it feels sim somewhat similar to how I felt when they printed Supreme Verdict, and I was like, this is just not supposed to be how things are if you cast wrath of god you shouldn't be good against decks casting creatures and counter spells that's just the way of magic law and i will <laughs> refuse to hear otherwise maybe dude that's so nuts i'm just really caught up on i think they will do you think they're waiting until companions all rotate out of standard, yeah, I rotate out of standard. yeah they have rotated they have oh well yeah. i really don't i really don't <laughs> follow standard <laughs> They might be waiting till Modern is played at in big turns again, yeah, or we get data, more data, or they they might not care. We'll see. We'll see what I think happens. That, I think Gav's right. I think that if we if and when we see a large large scale paper modern tournament for stakes again, yeah, and, and it's it like seven lures, yeah, they might go. Ooh, you know, maybe we should do something about this. My my vote is to ban. I think. I think I actually have changed my opinion. I I was like. Uh, maybe now I actually think ban uh, unless unless they're planning to print more companions then I'm like okay maybe not but even please then don't, I don't really like please the don't wish that upon us Harry I don't really like the companion mechanic the monkey paw is like <laughs> curling a finger down you I'm know really why sick Harry got us talking about that right just so you can put it in the title for clickbait because <laughs> people <laughs> love ban talk even if they claim they don't I mean, what do you I think the title of this episode is going to be? What do you think this yeah. title of this episode is going to be? Oh, I know. You, yeah. I know <laughs> how you roll. Hi, everyone who got clickbaited. I, I, I do. I don't, like, hold it against Watsy for trying to do that sort of thing, though. Like, I think it was, like, an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I, I, I think almost more interesting than the than trying companion in general was the fact that they tried to do, they'd made up like a, a full, a large scale errata nerf, which is something that all, may probably open the door to stuff like them 
thinking it's okay to try these historic anthology cards and alchemy and this sort of stuff. Being like, hey, you know, maybe we can actually do this. It's fine. Whereas, you know, they'd be really, really, really hesitant to to pull the trigger on power level errata in just, you know, it's for sake of like the physical card that you hold in your hand, it does what it says it does, kind of um, simplicity's sake. Whereas, you know, I think it opened up a lot of a lot of doors, but I really, I think overall it's a failed experiment. And I'm, I'm with Harry. I think just ban is better in the long run than than keep it around. But I, I think that it'll happen somewhere down the line once we see you know real results. So where you yeah. where do you stand, Gab? So me and Pat are on ban. What do you think? I'm not sure. You could argue that Luris makes the format good in some ways, just like some people are arguing Ragavan makes the format better in some ways. So okay. I don't, feel super, yes no. I don't feel super strongly about it. Right now, it's still say no, but I also don't, don't play the most modern. Fortunately, it's a democracy, and Harry and I have voted in favor of banning, so it'll be banned as of <laughs> okay. Monday. <All> right. <laughs> okay, cool. I just, I just always say, you know, I just play, the, I, I just play with the cards they tell me to play with. Oh, so. Yeah, absolutely. Ab- absolutely, that's the mindset that you're supposed to have when you're turning up and playing tournaments and playing competitive magic. Like, who gives a shit what card Texas printed on the card? Tell me what's the best thing to do, and I'll do it. You know, you're going uh, out there to win. No, I think it's okay to care about that stuff, too. I guess, oh, I'm historically, I've, I've, yeah. no, I've never been super involved in that but there's, there's definitely a disconnect. I mean, media and... There's a huge disconnect, I think, between like playing competitive magic and thinking about like what's good or bad for magic as on the whole or for a format on the whole. I think those are two separate issues that are you know almost mutually exclusive. Yeah, that's fair. You know, t- take off the tournament player hat and put on the kind of game design kind of theory crafty hat on, and then. You know, put yeah. the, put the tournament with the hat back on and say, "Just sleep up, my Luris, please. This is what I want to do. Like, I plan. Out, I want to win this tournament." Speaking of winning tournaments, uh, a small foray into Pioneer after Dom Harvey won the the online Pioneer PDQ with Jessica Ascendancy combo. Which is uh, that was good fun. I I, I think I might have talked a tiny bit about Pioneer the other week where I. Started playing a few leagues with blue white, blue black control, and this week I played a couple of leagues with this ascendancy deck, and with also with blue white control as well. What's, what's is, in it? Okay, so the ascendancy deck is like uh, eight eight opts, uh, four portable hole, four sylvan carried, four expressive iteration, four sylvan awakening, which is a green and two color sorcery that turns all your lands into two twos with haste and reach. Uh, so that's part of your combo, obviously, with Jeskai Sanity, which you also have four copies of. Has two copies of Faber Elder, which is uh, a green, white, and one colors for a star star creature that has power and toughness equal to the number of colors of permanence you control. Has vigilance oh and taps gosh. for mana equal to the number of colors of permanence you control. Has four treasure crews. And is there anything else in his list that I'm forgetting off the top of my head? I think that's pretty much it. And there's 25 lines, obviously. And in yeah. the sideboard, there was a whole bunch of weird weirdness. So he has a, a few more Faber Elders, a bunch of counter spells, some malevol- a malevolent hermit, a Yashan, which is really good against the Jun food deck that uh, I was actually quite pretty impressed with when I drew it. Um, yeah, so it's a whole bunch of it's just a combo deck, and it's got a lot of card advantage. So it sits there and grinds really well. It has Giganthra as its companion, and also a comp- 
which is like functions a nice combo piece as well. Hmm. It was just, it's a really clean list, and he had some nice takes on it. I, unfortunately, when I played the deck in the first league, I played against Blue Eye Control four times, <clears> and that deck has like four Absorb, four Dobbins Veto, so I just couldn't ever win. And it also has three Narset in the main as well, so he just completely uses a huge dog in that matchup. It's what sort of matchup I think you could swing by, like going more in the favor of malevolent helmets rather than mystical disputes. Uh, but at the same time, you know, really dog shit matchup. But the deck was really fun to play and super powerful. Like every time I played against a deck that was trying to do relatively non targeted hate stuff, I was just comboing quite leisurely. I think, you know, it has an, enough kind of like possession, presents blockers, has good card advantage against discard spells. And then goes off in a relatively robust way, and it's a deck that I think has been doing quite well recently. I, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but like my Twitter feed is like full of pioneer decks over the last couple of weeks, and like maybe some of that's to do with the fact that there was this PDQ coming up, or there was like a mox open a couple of weeks ago as well. But it seems like more and more people are kind of starting to gravitate back towards that format now that uh, you know there's a little bit more paper play happening, and you know modern's gotten really expensive as well, and you know people are maybe like losing interest in arena somewhat due to the fact that like there's a disconnect between paper and, and, and arena now or all that disconnect is becoming wider with the inception of alchemy maybe maybe pioneers on the up again I, I i'm not willing to give up on it um i think honestly i think well i actually have seen a lot of pioneer stuff but that's because i follow there's a uh, I follow Harry13, obviously, shout out to the UK stuff, and he's on, like, some, uh, on TAC team, and they do a ton of Pioneer stuff, and I watched the most recent Pioneer Challenge Top 8, because a, a Keros MTG, I believe, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, uh, made the Top 8 with Blue Red Phoenix, I watched him play in the quarterfinals against Matthew Folks on Mono Red, so I guess kind of my only question was, you know, those two decks, Arclight, Blue Red Phoenix, Mono Red, you know, when I was playing Pioneer Mono Green Planeswalkers like a year and a half ago on the podcast, maybe a year, you know, these were the decks I was playing against. Is, you know, is Mono Green Planeswalker still around? Like, how much of the Pioneer metagame do you know? Because it to me, it just seems like a format that was kind of left to the side and hasn't changed. Well, it's certainly a format that was left to the side and hasn't, well, it's definitely been evolving, but it hasn't had a huge number of people working on it i mean i feel like the top decks are pretty pretty well solidified at the moment like blue red phoenix and vampires so like mono black splash white vampires then there's like you know a couple of different flavors of control there's this ascendancy combo deck and there's lotus field combo deck which doesn't have underworld bridge anymore but it's still you know more or less is a kind of like good big mana difficult to interact with combo deck and then there's like you know there's burn decks there's like i play against like red green um What's the what's the spell called that's like uh it's like a five mana enchantment that like says like when you cast a spell you exile you, you like counter it and then like cast the next the next spell down that has the same type. I'm trying to oh. oh, no. that deck's not very good though. Possibility oh, storm? storm? I still played like against that. it. Okay. Yeah, it's not I don't think it's like a, a tier one deck or anything like that, but it's definitely a deck that's showed up. Like Niv Mizzet's still around. Yeah. I, I was just I was saying before we started the cast, and so these guys have heard it already, but I think that um there's a somewhat of, as as more and more stuff like alchemy comes out and more modern horizon sets come out there's got to be a space in magic for this format that doesn't that doesn't contain any of these kind of like essentially new new style magic thing going on 
they've actually done, I think they did a really smart thing in Pioneer, despite all the neglect and, and nonsense is that after they banned all the combo stuff, you know, with the inverter and the walking ballista and all that, all that sort of stuff, they left it to rot for a while. But then they did what one ban update where they banned like, um, like wilderness reclamation to fairy time raveler. Uh, and a whole bunch of stuff that was just really horrible from like the 2019, 2020 era. So like Euro is gone and all that sort of stuff is just gone. It's out of the format. Don't have to worry about it anymore. And so you don't play against any of the bullshit stuff <laughs> that happened in the last two or three years. And you don't play against any of the weird kind of supplementary sets that also augmented. Oh, the, another deck that, that I should talk about, that I should mention is really good is uh, John Sacrifice. It's like it wins, wins a lot of events in Pioneer at the moment. And that looks very much like the old standard deck or the old the historic deck, really. Yeah, a lot of Throne of Eldraine cards. Like, Throne of Eldraine's kind of like B-list hits, you know, the cards that didn't get banned from Throne of Eldraine. Anyway, I, I think it's a format that's got a, a bit more life left in it. And as, you know, more and more paper stuff starts happening and maybe, uh, you know, once we get back to, like, larger-scale events for stakes, like, and people are looking for a change from a format like Modern... Because let's be frank, like, no one's going to be able to run a standard event and have it be taken, like, well, ha- get get the sort of attendance they want anymore. I think the arenas kind of just meant that, why would I bother having a paper standard collection? I think that you'll find that these paper events are going to be like a mix of limited and modern and stand and, and pioneer, sorry, as the kind of second or third option for running these events. And so I expect over the next couple of years, we'll see more pioneer and more interest in the format. And people will learn it's actually it's actually kind of magic like you remember it five years ago which is not necessarily the worst thing on planet earth bit of nostalgia yeah and actually prof who i watch i watch some of his youtube videos sometimes and he think you should uh bring pioneer to arena he think that would be one of the best ways to quote-unquote fix some of the problems with arena is to just have pioneer because it lets you play with all these cards you've crafted and that you don't use much anymore so he seems to think Pioneer would be a great addition to to Arena as a format, given that Alchemy is just too powerful for the old standard cards. Yeah, well, that's the thing they created the historic and maybe to a lesser extent Alchemy as this kind of. Initially, they were like, "Oh, this is something that you can do with your cards after they rotate," because obviously people were like, "When I spend all my money on these cards and they rotate, then they do nothing, but I can't turn them into dust or anything like that to craft new cards." It's like, okay, it's fine, we'll create Historic. And then they're like, here are a bunch of absurdly powerful cards for Historic that we're just going to force print in. And now none of your standard cards matter again. And so that's kind of shitty. It's a shitty thing to happen. And Pioneer was created explicitly for this kind of reason. They said, like, Modern's 10 plus years old now. There's no, or 15 years old now, that there's no reason to believe that cards that get printed in standard and, and rotate in the modern are going to have some impact in that format because it's so big and powerful. We needed to create some intermediary spot where people will still get to do things with the cards that, that have rotated out of standard. And yeah, I think there's a need for that format and it's always been there and it just needs eyeballs on it and reasons to play it. I think so. I'm. For a long time, I was a big pioneer apologist, and then we stopped talking about pioneer in general. And I'm back. I'm back being the pioneer apologist. Yeah, I was not always, but I think at some point, at least, I felt like that format was made a little too vanilla. And you were the big the pioneer hater for sure. The gameplay was not the most exciting. I think that's why people like it so much because it's quite simple, but also has a complicated. Like it's 
a lot the more simple is, turns and more turns like single turns that make the match the game sorry right. i don't think that you can open a sentence by like the most unpopular format in magic history people like it so much because yeah no i, I say i think the reason why people liked it at the start it was it seems to be a very simple format but it, i don't i think it's died because there's just no support for it yeah i mean it's definitely it's definitely like clean simple pure magic like it you know, as much as the phrase as Garfield intended is kind of a joke and a meme, like it's kind of magic as Garfield intended. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the problem from a content creator side, I mean, I upload a Pioneer League, I get like a well, thousand views. If I upload a Modern League, I get between five and 10k views. I mean, per personally, it's just a waste of my time. And that's why the format is struggling with growth in content, you know? P people are always tweeting, like, play Pioneer, play Pioneer. I mean, just not enough support. That's that's well, kind yeah, of yeah, why yeah, I like yeah, Pioneer. You have to start somewhere. Yeah, I know, but the Might thing not... is, right, like, it's like, what, what, for what benefit? I mean, I don't really care about the, f like, it's not, it's not in my benefit to kind of revive this format and to solo carry it for, for when I can just ride the wave of modern, you know, it'll always be popular. I think you should never yeah. do things you don't want to do, but like, there's a, I, there's a million people who play Magic because not to create content, though. I think they're not, they're not talking to you, Harry. Personally, no, I'm Magic saying I'm saying like people people's biggest argument is that oh, that there's no attention onto the game. No one makes good content for it. You know that no one really makes content for it. I mean, there's a reason because no one watches it, and I think yeah. that's why I think the format died. There's no PTs. There's no whatever. No one streams it on really on Twitch to a big audience. Like I think really the way you revive the format is through aspiring spike. That's my that's my only guess. <laughs> Honestly, he's the he's the only person who can possibly revive Pioneer. The Pioneer, the Pioneer the, trof, Trophy Challenge. Yeah, Ooh, stop Pioneer tweeting at me. Tweet at Spike. Are you? How's the Trophy Challenge going? Is it, are you watching it, Harry? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, Want to give a bit of context to the thing that I just said? Sure. So, Trophy Challenge for those listening, don't know what it is. Um, basically, there you can win a trophy for being undefeated in a League of Magic Online. There's a leaderboard for trophy earners, if you didn't know. And Aspiring Spike, if you don't know him, he's a popular streamer, has offered the top three trophies. And I believe also, like, punishments for himself, like gifting subs to his own channel, if he doesn't come first, something like this. Um, and basically, he's competing against about five people, I would say. The main ones that I know are only the streamers. There's Misplaced Ginger, Demonic Tutors, and someone else i'm i'm not super updated but i only follow misplaced ginger just to give a bit of background he's the first streamer i true i i first started watching because he did the uh golgari mid-range as well as the sultai mid-range and standard when i actually used to care about that format so i am kind of rooting for ginger i watch him a lot he helps me fall asleep at night not because he's boring because he's canadian streams really late my time um and yeah it's a lot of fun to watch you know, high it's like high stakes magic online in leagues. So you know, if you want to kind of get invested with someone trophying, other than the glory of seeing them get hyped, go watch Ginger, go watch Spike, or even Demonic Tutors, or or the other streamers. There are many. I think there's one more streamer involved. Don't know all the names. I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm really involved. Uh, I think are I'm you? still stuck at zero, but <laughs> the first trophies. Uh... Yeah, it should come any times. No, I, they, yeah, I think they were tied at thirty-eight yesterday, yeah. which is absurd. I mean, in theory, you you know, on average, you should trophy one in thirty-two leagues. Jeez. Um, yeah, and you know, sure they have a better win rate, but 
Moda also tries to pair you against people who have your record, so it's not like you know your your matches should be tougher when you're two o three o four o, and yeah, it's just kind of absurd, astonishing. I haven't played a ton of modern, but I've played now, I don't know, maybe ten, fifteen, twenty leagues total. I'm not sure, and I still don't have a trophy. Sure, I play on stream. Sure, I'm you know more casual about it, but. Yeah, the funny thing is i think they trophy i would say like from watching if i had to guess i think they trophy about one in eight leagues each and these guys they sit down play all day you know if you think they do like six leagues a day no because they owe one drop don't they hmm i don't Dude, know he, no 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 spike spike free one dropped yesterday he was free i know he, he lost and he dropped Ooh. yeah no it's 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 getting serious yeah. I was always kind of serious, but it's... Oh like, my it's not... gosh. But yeah, they, they're like, 0-1, they just drop whenever they lose. It's so nuts. So they, they pump out so many... I guess they don't really pump out leagues. I mean, the matches, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think they probably... I I guess maybe, like, it's close to like 1-8, and eight, between 1-8 and eight and 1-12. and 12, I would guess is how, how often they trophy a league. It's really sick. You should watch it. How often are you, like, supposed to trophy on average if you win, like, 60% of the matches or whatever. Like 1 in 10? Yeah. Right? Is that right? Maybe that's not right. From 1 to one in 32 to 1 in 10. Half of I 32 can... is 16, right? Uh, I'll calculate it while we keep talking, I guess. I think... Let's I th actually stop and let him calculate it live on the air. Well, no. I, I'm, dude, I don't do statistics. I do analysis. I rarely use the calculator. I'm all algebra-based. <laughs> So I don't, like, whenever someone's like, oh, you study maths? What's 32 times 90? I'm like, bro, I haven't touched a calculator in two years. What's 9 times 5? Uh, uh, 60. 45. Like, yeah, the, yeah uh, you, you're close. It's like 8, per, it goes from like 1 in 32, which is what, 3% to 8, close to 8%. So you... He says yeah. if you go from 50 to 60. Yeah. Yeah. 50 50 percent win rates one in 32 and 60 percent win rate is yeah. one in and, and I, I would 13. assume that i assume the good magic online player has a maybe 70 percent win rate or something like that maybe even a little bit higher um yeah in modern yeah 60 yeah maybe the very top around 70 yeah i know that when you look at like when they have the mock stats or whatever like jabberwocky is like lifetime win rates like close to 70 Really? Wow, lifetime. Yeah. I think at a given time, maybe the best player in the format is at 70, 75, but lifetime, that's... I mean, obviously, Jamal is insane. Like, kind of obscene, yeah. And they also used to do that thing, like, with Fink Finkel lifetime PT stats or something, like, close to 70% win rate. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, I think on the PT, the top players have, yeah, 65% win rate. You know, maybe... Maybe, maybe some of... Maybe one or few of them were at close to 70, but... Yeah. I think Finkel was close to 70 when I... Just from memory. And maybe Owen was as well at one point yeah. in time. But no, Owen, Owen probably had some bad years. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not sure how accurate that stat is or if I recall properly, but I think when I got inducted in the Hall of Fame, I, my win rate was 60, 60 or 61%. Yeah, funny you managed to bring that you're in the Hall of Fame. And it was surprisingly the same in Constructed and Limited. That is surprising. Yeah. Hmm. I've just I've just always 
you know, people have always made fun of my limited game, and I've always said I just ran run that in limited and spread my wins poorly in limited. <laughs> you, your 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 first PT win was uh, team limited, there, right? Yeah, in Rochester. Yeah, yeah. in Rochester draft with D Rude and Gab Singh. No, that's that's when I won. Oh, my first PT win. I thought first PT top eight. Yeah, yeah. PT win, yeah. I think my win percentage on Magic Online is like fifty six percent when I checked on like a computer with like a thousand mm. matches. Radio sounds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we. I think this is towards the end of the episode, eh? So you can edit that bit out. I was just giving you some silence. So you can edit that bit out, Harry. Oh no, no. I um. Uh, let's just move on. Life on the line. Price is right. What do you guys think? I, I just, just, just while we're bragging about win rates, or not bragging about okay. win rates, when I checked my um before they they entered the DCI thing, I looked up the uh my GP win rate. My GP win rate was seventy percent over fifteen. Nice, GPs. nice, nice. It was very nice. Okay. My GP win rate is probably pretty high too. Oh, two two quick things there before. Quick shout out. You mentioned underworld breach, and it made me think of uh, Jiggy Wiggy, who top four the modern challenge yeah. was his. Underworld Breach deck he's been playing. If Long someone's time looking, for, yeah, if someone's looking for something a little different and misses playing combo, I think it. Yeah, also, if you've got a sixty-first sleeve that's going like begging, like his deck's always yeah. has one cards in them. Yeah. So also three and, expressive iterations. So fancy that. Second, second thing, we did the prices right on Lelia last week, and you crushed us, Harry. But I guess twenty-five, and on Magic Online, the card is actually worth like. Literally twenty five or twenty six ticks. Wow. Just saying, just saying. My instincts were not like that wrong. I guess I need to adapt to life. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I just figured I'd, I'd mention it. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll just back. win prices right this week, anyways. What? Do, why don't we do Luris? This prices right. All right. Sure. Okay. I've got a really good guess as this one. I got it too. Okay. Actually, no, this I, is broken because I looked it up two, two days ago. Yeah, so we're just doing closest to the price of Loris on card market wins. So I'll do. Wait, Pat, you said you looked it up but two days ago. I looked it up like two days ago. I was going to oh, buy. Oh, okay. Then we're not. Uh, doing Luris. I, I would have got five euros. I was going to do Cause six because it's, it's limited and restricted. It's, everyone it's like 13, 14 euro. Really? Loris is uh, wait. That's the How's one. it so expensive? You don't even need more than one. It's I the guess... best card, and it goes in every deck. It is yeah, yeah. nine euros. Price, tr okay. oh no, price trend 10 euros 23 last 30 days. Anyways, we need a card that we haven't looked up. Why not? How about Kaya's Guile? Alright, sure. I'm done with Kaya's Guile. Because that's Modern Horizons 1, right? Okay. Everyone got a price in their head? It's a rare from Modern Horizons 1. Yeah. Okay. Sure. 3, 2, 1, 3 euros. 12 euro. Okay. Three, you seven, said 3, four. I said 7. Oh, you said 12? So we're perfectly like... Kaya's Guile is average price trend for the last 30 days is 5 euros and 4 euro cents. What did you say? 7? Seven? 7. No! Ding, ding, you ding. win! Because of the 4 I win. cents! Oh, it's 4 cents? I thought you said 40 cents. No, 5 euros and 4. Wow, I beat you by like pennies? Nice. 4 pennies. But, nice. but. I've been, I've been practicing them in the US and I've been watching actual prices right on TV. So. But if you take uh, the average price trend 
for the past seven days, it's four years 99 I win. The past day is four years 76 I win. The price trend forever is four years 96 I win. So if you want to take this, like, oh, Liliana Magic Online, I beat you in every other price trend category. You're lucky we choose past 30 days. Yeah. I've actually been heinous <laughs> at the prices, right? Trying to guess because everything's like retail price, so I way under guess every time. And yeah, anyways, <laughs> what, what, what life on the yeah. line? This yeah, this this, the, this lawn chair and, and and like decking setting is like eight hundred and ninety five dollars. Like I thought, like who on earth would fucking pay that much money? Yeah, shit? <laughs> yeah. but That's um, every every time I watch the prices, right, as a kid, like oh, I can, no, the worst is hundred dollars on the back on the vacuum cleaner. The worst are the trips. Because they pay like, who knows how much for a flight? Like full, like yeah, it's kind of reminds me of when the wizards used to buy our flights, and they oh, would yeah. just pay so much money for our flights. It was obscene. Just it was really weird. Where you would like, they would basically tell you like, this is what we've estimated your flight to be, and you're like, holy shit! Like I could just like take two connections and to go to different places that I want on the way back. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta look it up myself. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to complain. They were always really accommodating and got us good flights, you know, kind of as direct as possible. It was great. I, I, yeah. I mean, you obviously did it a lot of times. The three times that I went and took flights from them, they, like, let me tell them where I wanted to go yeah. and when I wanted to go yeah. and yeah, book yeah. whatever return legs I want, essentially. Yeah. I always went back by different places, and mm-hmm. it's good. Good to make a holiday out of it. Play the game, see the world. Yeah. Anyways, life on the line. For those who are listening, don't know what it is. It's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win the event, you live. You lose, you die. Got to bring a deck from every format talked about today. Uh, you can do Pioneer if you want or not, but it's going to be Modern and Pioneer. Um, I guess I'll start Modern. I'm going to go with four-color four control still. I think there's a lot of aggro decks, and I really like Omnath and Solitude in the same deck. I didn't like how Esper didn't have Solitude, because you don't have enough white cards or, or something. I, I don't know why. But I like having access to Solitude. And in Pioneer... Um, I will actually play Matthew Folk's Mono Red deck. I really like that deck. Probably my favorite red deck all time in that format and in Magic in general. So, uh, four color controller modern and Mono Red in Pioneer. What about you guys? I'm going to play... played Living in last week and I think the deck's really good, but I think Grixis Shadow is just the best deck in modern. It has almost no bad matchups. Maybe Burn is tough. But yeah, it's yep, close. I'm I'm death shadowing as well. Yeah, um, I think yeah. If you if you really think that people are going to turn up with a lot of burn, I'd probably just put a bunch of collective, collective brutalities in my sideboard. That's feel pretty effective against burn. I think burn hasn't really yeah. changed. So if I'm going to play pioneer, though, I'm definitely not going to play that uh, Jessica Sanity deck. I think I I think I, I would play like blue eye control. I think the league I played was really fun. And playing all the kind of Dobbins Vetoes and Narsets and Teferi Time, all for Teferi Hero of Dominaria. Yeah, good magic. What is the cheap removal in that deck? So it has Portable Holes and it has Azorius Charm and it has the. It does have a The Stores to Plashes thing, the, or the, the thing that's like a Exile Creature or Planeswalker and um, they get oh, a token. you want to get a token. What about yeah. Isolate, the card we talked about last Ooh. week? Oh, but there's, very, there's no Ragabans or. Um, yeah, true, true, true. A okay. dragon race channel to kill. All right, all right. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, I guess that's kind of the end of the episode. Gab, we can find you on the internet. Twitch.tv slash yellowhat on Twitter at Gab Nassif and 
yellow hat on YouTube. Awesome. You can find me anywhere on the internet at HarryMTG, but go check out my YouTube as well. Just HarryMTG on YouTube. Trying to upload two or three times a week right now. See how well I can do. Pat, what about you? You can find me anywhere on the internet at GetSmart. And if you're you know, you're starting back up at uni, you can t- find me teaching, frantically preparing for tutorials uh, starting for next week. Awesome. Um, I guess if you made it this far into the episode, I just want to remind you that the podcast is brought to you by Card Market. Shout out to them for sponsoring the cast. And I guess we will catch you all next week. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Later, everyone.